Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live.
Hey, Apostle, how you doing? Hey, God bless you. How you doing? I'm all God right. And you? God, God bless you. Pretty good. Good, <laughs> good, good. I want to uh, start off by apologizing to you because yesterday uh, when we dismissed, I was kind of like <laughs> interrupted. <clears throat> by you something, are? so I, yeah, there was a, while you were saying good night, I was kind of like in a daze because uh, funny story, and I guess Bishop Bishop says she'll tell you more about it. But I was in the office, and all uh-huh. of a sudden, I heard I heard this big thump, you know, oh, in the office here in my house. I heard this big thump, and I'm like, what is going on? It seemed like somebody had maybe threw a ball up against the house or something, and. Uh-huh. Then I see this picture that we have in the office is mounted up high. It just starts to like slowly just fold over and it fell over and it fell on Bishop's desk and it broke. Hmm. The picture broke and <laughs> and it's a picture that she's had from a long time. I guess her uh, ex had gotten her that picture. <laughs> and, wow! <laughs> and the whole night, and so I went outside. I went with a flashlight. I said, you know, maybe it's going to be some kind of market on the outside of the siding of the house. Maybe mm-hmm. a limb fell on the roof. I went outside, and there was no sign of anything hitting that sound. And there was a loud noise. Like somebody took, like, a uh, maybe a basketball, and they hit the side of the house just like boom. And wow. And I was like, yeah, I was like, well, God, I guess you're maybe trying to tell her something. So that's why. So, so while you were dismissing, I was like, "Oh, okay, good night." Oh no, <laughs> no, don't worry. Yeah, I didn't even so. catch that, but yeah, no more picture. Yeah, so she was like, "Oh, you got to tell the thing. You got to tell the thing." And so, uh, she also wanted me to tell you that, um, <clears throat> you know, she just, uh, she was going through some something today. I guess with emotional. I don't know if you um. Uh, no or not, but, uh, you know, I guess she had a conversation with Sister Tanisha, and, you know, Sister Tanisha was deciding to leave the ministry. So, the church? Yeah, yeah. So, no, um, no, no, no way, no way. Yeah, yeah. So, um, again, you know, I guess she'll, she'll speak to you guys on Saturday. Oh. Um, you know, so Bishop, you know, had really embraced her, and I'm telling you this in confidence, a bishop really embraced her, you know, as a daughter, and you know this really came out of left field. So she really taking it, taking it really hard. Uh, so you know, mm. that's why she probably not even in her right mind right now, bishop. So oh, you know. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. To, I know the day after we had the meeting with um you and uh, Pastor Alvarez. Mm-hmm. They were um, talking, and she she had mentioned that her husband is concerned about her time mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, that he mentioned to her, now you're doing two services, you're practicing on Saturday, you know. She was like, now this, I don't know what I'm going to tell him. Right. So, well, well my, and, I, and, I, and I understand that, and I, and I told her, I said, listen, because I'm always for marriage. Like, we've had people... Yeah in a ministry where, you know, oh, I'm going to go with my husband. Well, of course, we encourage you to go ahead. But, you know, if, if and, and this is so much truth behind it, you know, because we, we know them personally. But, you know, okay. if your husband was actively doing something in the church, if he was embracing his own calling, by all means, I would say, you know, daughter, you know, he's right, you know, follow your husband, be with the husband. But he's not. You know, he's, he's just home, you know, he's, 
he's searching, you know, she said that he's been to a couple of churches, one, maybe like, you know, maybe two days and uh, two weekends in a row. So out of that now, so it, it's, it's just, it's much more than really what it is, you know. Oh, so, I said to her, yeah. I said, well, you know, he doesn't want to come here. She said, no. And I didn't, you know, I just said, okay. I said, well, just pray and, um, you know, go from there. But goodness gracious. Yeah, it's much more. It's much more than that. It's much more than you know her him not wanting to come, and it, like I said, it goes deeper than that. I'm pretty sure you know, a bishop will probably speak to you and let you know. But um, it, you know, this was with her. I, I told her I said you know, the scripture in uh First Corinthians chapter seven is when it talks about wife sacrificed by her husband, husband sacrificed by her wife, and I said to her, I said that scripture applies. You know, believe it or not, it says non-believers, but really what it's in reference to is those that are in the world and those outside the world. I say, mm-hmm. you're flourishing, you're growing, you're transforming, your son is growing. Your husband has no church relationship with this church or anyone else. We have encouraged them over and over, him especially, <clears throat> to do something. So because of our emotional problem that he has, now you are aborting your blessing to keep that false peace in the house because it's really just a false peace because it's going against what God desires for you. So, but nevertheless, I said, you know, if that's what you believe God is leading you to do, I said, go ahead, try it. You know, the only thing you can do is just like Elijah said, you're stuck between two decisions. If it don't work, then follow God. But I, I've never heard of God calling you to, to God and then telling you leave God to get to God. Mm. You Maybe it should be that. Yeah, that, that, that's that's, and that's yeah. really that's really what I'm hoping for for her, you know. And I wish her the best. So I, mm-hmm. I spoke to her, and she's gonna speak to you guys as well. But you know, as as a leader, as a leader, I remember I spoke about relationship and everything. This is really going to taint your integrity because mm-hmm. this is not the first time that she's left the team uh, standing oh, okay. still when it comes to an event. And there was another event that they were supposed to perform at, and the day of the event, she, she she left the team. Everybody was ready, and they couldn't perform. So this is another one. And I said, yeah. I always spoke about a leadership class. I said, your integrity, you know, so when it, like you just said, you know, first time, you know, uh, shame on you. Second time, shame on me. You know, it'll be a third time. And this is where now, you know, if you do come back, which I pray you do, it's so hard for me now to develop you as a leader because you 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 lost you lost the trust and integrity of the people. Mm-hmm. And that has to be rebuilt before. Right, you know. that's important. That's why Jesus, when he came, he told John the Baptist, he says, "No, suffer it be. You baptize me." Because if Jesus would have came out and would have came in the wrong integrity, say, "Oh, I'm the Son of God. I don't need to follow any laws or anything like that," people wouldn't have received them. It's very important as a leader to embrace your integrity. Oh, so, but nevertheless, I keep her in prayer, and, uh, and I keep mm-hmm. Bishop in prayer. So I know she, I know she's hurting, you know, just as a spiritual mom, you know. Yeah, that's gotta be hard. I'm, uh, I'll definitely be praying. I'll be praying that she come back and that he come with her. Yeah, he's he's been there, you know. He's played for us and all that stuff. But like, yeah, yeah I it's much more. It's much more than that. It's a feud, okay. you know, between him and another family member in there. So it's 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 petty stuff. 
that's what I have to say. It's petty stuff. It can be easily handled. So, but enough said. So. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, we're gonna pray. Lord have mercy. Yes. Okay, so um, thank you, Father, for your grace and for thank your mercy. You, Lord. Yes, Father. Thank God. you for your love and kindness, oh God. Thank you thank for you, being Jesus. wonderful, oh God. Thank you for being oh, God, awesome. Lord. Thank you for being magnificent, oh God. We just yes, bless Father, your God. holy name, oh God. And we thank you for this moment, this time, this opportunity to ask yes, you for Jesus. forgiveness to come together in the name of Jesus and in faith, trusting that you have already worked everything out, oh God. Yes, we oh thank Lord. you that with one of your appearances, you can obliterate an enemy forever, oh God. And we're just yes, grateful Lord. to you to seeing to it that only oh, your will is being Jesus. done in our lives, oh God. We just thank you and we bless you. We thank, thank you, you for the blessing of thank salvation. You, we thank you for the joy of it, oh God, and we thank you for yes, your Jesus. peace which surpasses all understanding. Continue to orchestrate this call. Continue to bring forth whatever it is that you desire to say through your vessel, O God, and see to it that he uh, remembers it with total clarity, O God, in the name of Jesus. Jesus. And anoint me to bring out whatever else needs to be brought out, Lord, Lord. in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Let's see here. I have your notes, and then I want to go back to my notes from the last call. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about, okay, is the the grace ever cut short? And we discussed that. Mm -hmm. No. But we didn't finish talking about who God is. Um, And you you mentioned different characteristics that we can identify with when we, you, you know, read about who God is. And you also mentioned that you had some more notes to put to that. So do you want to go to who am I, or did you want to finish or touch a little bit on who is God? Um, <clears throat> I would say we could go on to who am I because as I, and, and, and again, as I finish compiling the, the rest of the notes, um, it's just it really uh, gets to a point where you're finding just different attributes to help the reader, the reader relate to who God is. So, you know, I, I, like I said before, I go from different uh, scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament just to help you identify who really God is. So that's more of like a, a foundation, an introduction. So it, excuse me, it's very redundant um, in that. So we, we can move on to that. Okay. From, from All right. That so, right. so we're going to move um, into who am I or are we going to skip that? No, we, we could go into who am I because... Um, uh, a couple of things that I have to say um, concerning that. Um, once you understand who God is, then just like I was saying before, you start to identify who you are. And like I said, many of us, believe it or not, we're, we're, we're fragments of a whole, an all-inclusive God. And what I mean by fragment, by an all-inclusive God, um, Jesus comes as the embodiment of of. Um, of who God is. The Bible says, um, just want to read in my notes. <clears throat> but the Bible says in John uh, 1 and 1, it says that Jesus, it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God himself. And then we know that later on in 14, it says, and the Word became flesh, human, incarnate, and tabernacle, or fixed himself, among us. That's what Jesus is called, Emmanuel, God with us. So yes. so Jesus is referred, I think, about 
16, maybe 20 something time as the all inclusive Christ. All inclusive Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one or the chosen vessel. And he's all inclusive. So we as the people are fragmented portions of who God really is. And it's not until uh, Paul does um, his dissertation about love and then he starts talking about the gifting of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we can see how a fragmented man can become one being through being called the body of Christ. So you may not see yourself as the God of might, you know, because you say, oh, you know, I'm very passive. I'm not a consider myself to be a mighty person. But you may see yourself as the God of grace. So uh-huh. grace plus might, now you're becoming more complete, more complete. And this is why we have to join a body of believers. The Bible tells us in Hebrew that when we surround ourselves with ground, you know, like believers, you know, we easily put aside the sin that encumbers us. So it's not until we join ourselves to the body, to the living organism of who Christ is, that we can really be complete. For example, I so much desire to write a book. I so much desire to write a book. I was just super busy. I really don't like writing. You know, I write because I have to write my sermons. I write my notes, and I, I want to try to archive as much as I have. But I don't like writing. But God allowed me to meet with somebody like you who loves to write. Yeah. <laughs> you understand? So so mm-hmm. now we're becoming inclusive because you're putting books out, I'm putting books out, you know, you're writing, I'm I'm, you know, uh dictating all these things and then the glory of God is being made manifest through what is going on. Does that, does yes. that make sense? Yes. So um Hello. similar to Yeah, can you hear me okay? Uh oh. Hello? Can you hear me okay, Apostle? Hello? Can you hear me okay? Apostle? Hello? I'm the one. Hello. 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 Did I lose you, Zinga? Hello. Yes, hello? Can, can you hear me? Yes, now I can. I lost it. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Um, it's okay. I don't know what happened. I could hear you just fine, but I think you couldn't hear me. Yeah, no, I couldn't hear you. <laughs> All right, so if ever we disconnect, you just call right back into the line, and I'm going to call back into the line, and we'll pick up where we left off. That, that was, sounds good. That was nobody. Let me stop. Yeah, I mean, we, that's what happens when you're getting closer to the goal. You're getting closer you to know, the goal. He's upset, but that's mm-hmm. his job, ain't it? 
Amen. Um, okay. So what, I, what was the last thing I said? We were talking about how we come together, how, um, you know, you really make up the whole picture. It reminded me of um, the scripture that says, we know in part. Um, right. Probably you know, but, part. Yeah, it's like a piece of pie. You know, if everybody mm-hmm. has a slice of pie, we don't get the whole pie until we come together and we put it together. But um, exactly. I wonder, what is a fragmented man? you have a definition or, uh, or a deeper explanation behind that? Right. You know, uh, a fragmented man is, you know, we, we would so easily say an incomplete man, but so many people think that they're complete when they have, you know, a good job, they have family, they have everything going well. You know, the Bible tells us, I'm trying to find the scripture, the Bible tells us that, you know, you can have success and it, and it may not be good success. But So just because you're successful doesn't mean that you're in the will of God. But, you know, I'm trying to find the scripture. But it says, you know, God warns us against, you know, um, success, bad success. And if God talks about bad success, then that means that there tends to be good success. So what right. I'm trying to say is that, a man that's fragmented is a man that is without the totality of his creator. Mm-hmm. Um, Ford would not make a car without putting their emblem on it, you know, their trademark, who they are, you know, so is Chevy, Nike, mm-hmm. whoever it is. That trademark lets you know who created it. That's why people buy it. This is why, right. you know, the marketplace is so grand, you know, because people buy a brand, they really don't buy product. People mm-hmm. start buying product after the fact that they realize, I and mean, you ever go to Target and you got like the up and up product and it tell you right on the label, it says compared to Johnson and Johnson or compared yeah. to Coca-Cola. So when you see that compared to, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to buy it. So it costs less. <laughs> Same product, different box, right? Because uh-huh, uh-huh. that lets you know that the manufacturer can guarantee you success. And it's the same thing. A fragmented man is a man that is not complete in his maker, in his manufacturer. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to, like it says, to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. In other words, give it right. to us that we can be effectively. So, you know, I could be a man who has great success, who has, you know, a truckload of money. I could have my wife, my kids, you know, three-car garage, you know, acre, acre house, all these things. But if I don't have a relationship with my maker, then I'm fragmented because internally I'm broken up. So internally, externally, I may have the car, the house, everything else that everybody else decides for, but internally, I may not have peace, I may not have love, I certainly don't have salvation if I'm not, you know, uh, have a relationship with Christ. So the internal parts is what plagues us, you know. It's not a coincidence. Like you see, you know, somebody like, for example, like, like Robin Williams, right? Robin Williams, you know, such a great man, such an inspiration to life. Yeah. You know? There's so many great things. And he committed suicide. Why? Yeah. Because on the outside, people say, well, he was complete. But on the inside, he was mm. fragmented. You understand? Yeah. Michael Jackson, you know, had everything, mm-hmm. everything that life could ever get. The man owned his own monkey. <laughs> yes, a zoo exactly. In the, a zoo in his backyard. And uh, what killed him? The lack of sleep, something that poor people do. Uh, uh, a, poor, a poor person can sleep so well. If we could get paid for, for for sleeping, we would have been millionaires. 
You know what I'm saying? Right. So, uh-huh. so, so, so what I mean is that he was fragmented on the inside. So, so this, so this, this two almost kind of like two worlds here. You know, you have those that that have on the outside and don't have on the outside, and then those that do have. So it is no coincidence that the ones that have least on the outside have the most on the inside. Because when we are incomplete outside, we stay. We tend to look for completion inside. Uh-huh. You understand? So this is why. Go ahead. Um. So is there ever time? Um. Because you know it's opposite. Much on the outside, least on the inside. Much on the inside, least on the outside. Uh-huh. How do we even that? How do we? get to a place where we have much on both accounts, that we're, you know, the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is definitely subdued even in its weakness. Like, how do we get that balance where we have much on the outside, but we are, we have much on the inside? Right. And see, and Paul cracked the code in uh, Romans chapter 7 when um, when he was talking about battling the sin back and forth. And, and the key is to manage. The key is to manage. You know, the Bible um, makes it clear to those who read it that we're imperfect. We're imperfect men. So that's why God gives us grace. So, again, it's not the, the condoning of a sinful habit, but rather the managing of a holy life. And this is where you have to balance your inner and your outer you cannot let the outside things extract you or fragment you in the inner sense. You know, Jesus said, you know, why do we worry when we don't have clothes to, you know, to put on our back, food to eat, when we don't have... He said, why do you worry? You don't add or decrease from your situation. It doesn't get bigger. Then he said, look at the lilies of the valley. Look at the birds of the air. air. They're not a sow nor reap, but God takes care of them. So that itself right there, I said, listen, if I'm lacking on the outside, the inner part will keep me balanced, right? Uh And then likewise, vice versa, if I'm lacking uh, on the inside, then the outer part will keep me balanced because now when I'm lacking, uh, let's say, if I'm lacking wisdom, if I'm lacking uh, experience, if I'm lacking, you know, maturity, then the, the situation or the experiences that I go through on the outside would allow me to gain those experiences, this is why, you know, when James talks about faith without works is there because we have to put some kind of action to it. So everything that we go through in life, you know, in the other side of the spectrum teaches us something, and we're supposed to have a balance. Like you can never completely deny your flesh. You know, I grew up, you uh-huh. know, in a church where every time they spoke about fasting, they always spoke about buffeting your, your flesh, and they came from Second Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul said, you know, I have a, a thorn, a messenger of Satan that came to buffet my flesh. So we fasted to hurt our body, to hurt our body. Well, I take it like this. Why would you want to hurt the vehicle that God gave you to manifest his glory? That's like you saying, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put a dent in my car or slash the tires, you know, but then you need it the next day to go to work. Uh-huh. That's what Jesus said. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who put ashes on their face and sackcloth. He said, no, anoint your face. Look like you're not fasting. Be happy, Uh be full of joy, because your father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. So so when we do things like that, we have to understand that we got to have a balance, both naturally and spiritually. You cannot spite 
uh, what's the saying? The saying says you can't, uh, um, you know, uh, cut your nose to spite your face. Yeah, I never heard right? that. Right? Yeah, like you know, if you want to do your face wrong, you can't cut your nose to spite right. it because it's all because it's all connected. And just like I was talking yesterday about the holistic part. You know, you're all connected. I know that nothing good dwells in your flesh, but guess what? You still need to yield the flesh to fulfill the will of God. And that's what Paul was saying, and I want to read to you very quickly. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and 18, he says, um, when he's, he's going back and forth, he says, I want to do good, but I can't do good, this and that. So he says in 18, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh, and I can will that which is right, but I cannot perform it. It says, I have an intention and an urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. It says, for I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do, but the evil deeds that I do not desire to do are what I am ever doing. It says, now, if I do what I do not desire to do, it is no longer I doing it. It is not myself or the act, but the sin or the principle of sin which dwells in me. It says, so I find it to be a law, a rule of action of being, that when I want to do what is right and good, evil is ever present. You ever notice every time that you commit to do something, sin always sure. steps up? So because always. the power of sin, the power of sin is law. Anytime you put a law to something, sin is always going to try to overcome it. <clears throat> so it says, so I find the law that when I want to do what is right, good, uh, and good, evil is ever present with me, and I am subject to its insistent demands. For I endorse and delight in the law of God in my innermost self with my new nature. But I discern in my bodily members, in the sense of appetizing the wills of the flesh, a different law. Uh, it says, <clears throat> a war against the law of my mind. So he goes into this whole thing. He says, um, O wretched man that I am, who will release me uh, or deliver me from the shackles of the body of death? Now he says at the end, he says, Oh, thank God through Jesus Christ, the anointed one, he says, so then indeed of myself with the mind and heart, I will serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So Paul came to understand that he said, listen, I cannot beat the law of sin in my member. Can you see that? That's a principle. The, the flesh has an appetite that is uncontrollable. So he says, with my heart and my mind, I'm going to do the best to fulfill the will of God. That's balance. He says, but with my members, with my flesh, I'm going to fulfill the law of sin because I can't help it. Because your body is sin within of itself. So what he's basically uh -huh. saying is that I'm not going to condemn myself when I mess up. Rather, I will have my balance in my mind and my heart. So this is why a lot of people are so hard on themselves when they make mistakes. And they keep okay. themselves from the will of God, from the very agent that is trying to fragment them back together or put them back together. The Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. Yes. So when we're broken inside, God is close to us. And sometimes God allows those brokenhearted people to be like that because they know they're going to seek refuge in him. And he says that he's touched by our infirmities. So. Amen. You know, um, so we're supposed to, there's no good thing in the flesh, no good thing in the flesh. Um, and the Bible says that when, when, you know, the word tells us when we're weak, he is strong. So That's we right. should have this expectation that we're going to mess up. Why is it that we expect to be perfect 
regardless of whether they're Christians or not, or whether they've been to church or not, or whether they know the word or not, uh, why is it that we expect to be perfect when the Bible tells us we're imperfect and yet we can be perfected through our relationship with the Lord? Well, why do you think we do that? And um, the reason um, that is there is because of what you just said. Um, there is a desire to be perfected, but you cannot be perfected in this vehicle, in this tent, in this body. So the desire to ever want to be perfect uh, will keep you hungry, will keep you thirsty, will keep you chasing. And just like we were speaking last uh, yesterday, you know, when you have that internal desire, it will lead you to God. Um, that's one thing. The other thing also is because we desire perfection uh, towards us. For example, you know, you know, if you were to come to me and tell me, you know, well, Posse, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the best writer, you know, and I'm not the best thing, so I'm going to write you a, you know, a halfway book. <laughs> I would have told you at the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, you know, but internally <laughs> I would have been like, man, I, I want, I want perfection, you know. I, I don't right, know what right. perfection may look like, but we all want perfection, and we all have a different perspective. Of perception. So not only do we desire to be perfect, but we also want others to deliver perfection. So it's something that, believe it or not, that is embedded in our humanity, in our spirituality, in our being, that we may seek God. And, and, and the only one that can perfect us is God. This is why the whole Old Testament teaching of the letter, the law, right? The law came to expose man that man can have a higher or a heightened appetite desire to want to be perfect, and the only way that they could acquire that was through a Messiah. That's what the Judaic uh, law, the Judaic principle, is that they're waiting for a Messiah. The Messiah yeah. is the one that's going to get them perfect. However, right. they think that by them following the law, they're going to be perfected, and we know that that's not it because Paul tells us, being the Pharisees of the Pharisees, he tells us exactly that that is impossible. The law came to expose him for the, the strength of the letter, is the law. So, again, you know, we see flaw in ourselves, and we want better. We see flaw in others, and we want better. So it's just like God. You know, God, yes, receives us as we are, but he knows that we, he wants better because we're capable of doing better. So right now, as you said, nothing good dwells in the flesh. This is why Paul then later on in 1 Corinthians 15 speaks about that one day, in the trickling of a night, we shall all be transformed, we shall all be translated, it says this yes. corruptible shall be taken off and put on incorruptible. incorruptible. Because God is, right, God is saying, if I can get your inner part balanced and I can take the obstacle of sin away, would you, under your free will, would you still submit to me? Also, um, how can you uh, put it this way? People say, well, you know, if God loves us so much, you know, why do we hurt? And I always say, well, how can we know how much he loves us if we don't experience the hurt and the relief? So it's kind of like uh, if we don't have some sort of weakness, then there's no need for him. There would have been no need for him to come. Uh, die exactly. and be resurrected if we could have stayed in that state. Um, so let me ask you this. The desire to be perfected is something that we pick up instantly, and it keeps us hungry, 
okay? Meaning it's, it's embedded in us, and it keeps us hungry. It keeps us searching. Um, how does this correlate to God? Because, you know, you have people who say, you know, they never experienced him, but from what you are saying, I would say if you ever said to yourself, there's got to be more to life than this, that that's God, would that be correct or incorrect? Um, yes, in a sense that would be correct because even people that don't believe in God believe in something. You know, like I like to take, for example, like like atheists. Atheists say, well, you know, I don't believe in God. But you believe in something. You know, whether it's yourself, whether it's your money and your job, your relationship and your car and your science, you believe it in something. And sometimes when we, um, you know, to answer your question, when we go through life aimlessly and without a purpose, then we tend to have no importance. And and this is where feelings come in. Feelings, believe it or not, gave us uh, that importance because, you know, scientifically speaking, on one side of the spectrum, you know, feelings, the senses, you know, they allow us to communicate with the outside world. Also, emotionally speaking, you know, from a natural perspective, not spiritual, but emotionally speaking from a natural perspective, it also allows you to feel what we call feeling human. It defers you from the animals. It, it, it defers you from other beings, other living organisms. So as a human being, you get to fear, you get to feel love, you get to feel joy, you get to feel happy. And on the, and on the retrospect, you also get to feel pain, you also get to feel sorrow, you also get to feel sad. So you feel all those things, and God uses those things so that you can understand not just the world that you live in, but also understand the person that you are. When you understand, because this is, this is the sin of Adam, when you understand right from wrong, good to evil, then you, in, in turn, or in fact, you will now have to make a decision. What do yeah. I want to do? And when you make that decision, listen, I want to be loved. I want to be appreciated. I want to be cared. I want to be, you know, um, I don't want to say glorified, but I want to be, you know, yeah, appreciated, exalted. I want to be lifted up. You know, I want to be, you know, taking care of all these things. Then that's, again, where now you start to seek. You start to seek. You start to seek. Like me, um, and, I, and I speak about this, you know, in my notes, when I, when I was younger, um, I never really remember growing up with my, my dad, you know, but I've always known, since I was a little kid, I've always known that I wanted to be married. And I wanted to come home, and I wanted to say, hi, honey, I'm home, and the kids come, daddy, daddy, daddy. I've always wanted that. Like, even, you know, I was a boy, and I would play house with the other girls. While the other boys, I remember I told you about that, the other boys would be outside playing sports, I'm playing with your girls. You know, people would look at it and say, oh, you know, and he growing up, going to be a homosexual. Nah. Matter of fact, had a ways with the ladies. You know, some, most kids that play with dolls grew up to be great fathers, believe it or not. But That's because that was something... Yeah, that was something that I desired, so I sought it out. And, you know, and through me having that desire, guess what? You know, I met a young lady, and, you know, we met in church, and she said, listen, I decided to marry, and I said, me too. Now, most people won't say that at the age of 22, but I did. I was 22 when I married my wife, when I married Bishop. So, you know, most people will say, oh, man, that's too young, that's young. But, see, I had a desire, and I went after it. So mm-hmm. God allow me to hurt. Listen, who want to get married when they father with them in their house? <laughs> who want to have yeah. kids when you're the youngest of seven and everybody was blaming you for everything? So, so my life, 
my outside life, my perspective, would not ever resemble a man married, coming home, has a stable family. Never resemble that. <laughs> you understand? But the desire was embedded in me, and I sought it out. Just like many people that you see, many cases of people, and I like to study this a lot, and I, always, I have a heart for people that are, like, are depressed and are suicidal. You know, people that are depressed and are suicidal, a lot of people say, well, you know what, there's a lost cause. You couldn't save them. That's not true. Depression and suicidalness is a cry for help. It's a cry for help. The thing is that they want to be sought out in a special way, and you have right. to find out what that is. There are people that have that are suicidal and because they have daddy issues, so you have to seek them out as a son or a daughter. Or there are people that are suicidal and they may have problems in their marriage, so they want to be sought out as a spouse, mm-hmm. you know? And this is why when God sent his son, he did not send Jesus as a spirit. He didn't send Jesus as a king. He didn't send Jesus as anything else but as a son to resemble the relationship between father and son. Yes. So is our destiny code, so to speak, embedded in us when we get here, like we come here already ready? Yeah, I I believe that every human being has um, a destiny to return back unto God. The Bible says, you know, that, uh, you know, he has predestined us from the foundation of the world, you know, um, but then later on he says many are called, few are chosen. Believe it or not, we do the choosing, not God. You know, God always chooses us, but we're the one who choose to answer the call or not. So it has been predestined, predestined us to return back to our origin, to our father. You know, you, we have to understand it. Uh, scientifically, you know, spiritually, however you want to put it, that we are spiritual beings. We're spiritual beings because we are operating in another realm. Let's say, for example, you know, know, animals and other species, you know, they go by perspective, they see something, and they kick into instinct. But we have feelings. We contemplate, we reason together, we have ideas, inspirations, you know, all these things. So, so we, we, we're operating with the psychic realm, with, the, with the, um, you know, the intellectual, the, the, the mental part. And that allows us to be, you know, believe it or not, in a sense spiritual because most of the things that we're not saying, we're thinking. And we're yeah. thinking these things, you know, this allows us to know that we're much more than just what we see. Human race is much more than just what we see. You know, we feel, we, 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 we dream, we experience things, you know, whether good or bad, call it deja vu, premonition, whatever it is. And you, and you cannot just dismiss all these other beautiful feelings that man goes through. So that allows us to see that we are spiritual beings because we're spiritual beings. Just like we have a natural purpose, we also have a spiritual purpose. You know, I, I grew up, you know, and everything that I knew was drug, violence, and sex. That's all I grew up, you know, in the city, you know, I had two older brothers. And they made a living selling drugs every day. I remember people, you know, hooked on drugs would come to my house and bring drugs in their bare hands. I had to go get shopping bags, like put them here. You know, I, then when I, we were younger, my, my, my friend and I, after school, we were sitting there, we called them the steps, the stoops mm-hmm. in New York. And our hobby was uh, counting crack bottles on the floor. Wow. Many crack bottles. That was our hobby. Oh, there's a green one, there's a red one. Oh, I got a white one. You ever seen the crack? Cups and crack bottles on the floor. They were everywhere, like cigarette butts. Mm. 
So I grew up with this. You would never thought that, you know, somebody would say, you know, oh, that guy a preacher now? No, no way. Why? Because, listen, I embrace my natural calling. As a natural, I'm a hustler. I sold drugs. I did great at it. <laughs> you know, I made mm-hmm. lots of money. I stopped selling drugs. Then I hustle. You know, believe it or not, I, I was pimping for a while. You know, oh, after that, mercy. then, yeah, I'm <laughs> telling you, my, my, my past is dark. You know, I was gangbanging. I was robbing. I was stealing, breaking in. I was doing all kinds of things, you know, when I tried to go legitimate and I went, I bought a van for $600 and I started giving rides around the, you know, playing field. When I was in playing field, I was giving rides, you know, $5 a year, $5, I'll make $700 a week. I was always hustling. I was always doing something, always doing something. Went and bought, you know, 200 pairs of sneakers and came back, sold it for $400, always doing something. Now, that's my natural calling. I'm a hustler. But in the spiritual, it's something different. You understand? Mm-hmm. Just like, just like you know, Jesus told Peter, that you may you may fish in the natural, but I'm gonna make you fishers of men. So your yeah. calling and your spiritual calling are very kin to each other. You understand? So when I was winning the respect and the influence of people, you know, the trust of people, God said, I'm gonna use that talent, but for my calling, and I embraced it. Um. So is it possible to dive? with the same destiny code we came here with? And if so, then how do we identify that we're living in, you know, an unwrapped or untapped life? Let's let's start with the first question. Is it possible to die with that same destiny code we came here with in us? Yes. Yes, you can you can die with unmet potential. You know, Miles Monroe, one of my favorite authors, you know, um, May he rest in peace. You know, God God says, mm-hmm. or he says, excuse me, he says the richest place in this universe is not the gold mines, is not, you know, the oil reserve, but he says, but the cemetery. Because so many people have died with their, without meeting their full potential. How many doctors are under the grave right now that maybe had the cure for cancer or mm-hmm. the cure for AIDS? You know, how many, you know, engineers have the new wave of technology. Imagine if Steve Jobs would have died before his time. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, right. or Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. Imagine if Bill Gates would have, you know, got hit by a bus. Yeah. So, you know, so this is the thing that men, you know, some, some people don't really think about, that you have an untapped potential. You have not yet met the maximum capacity of it. Like, you know, in, 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 in even what you're doing that, that is so great right now, this is the first step. You're starting. You're starting. But if you really allow God to just take the reins and just drive you and then just allow you, this could turn into a multi-billion dollar company. You know how many people got books in the inside of them and what you're doing right now? You're saying, but, but God is just me. Well, the great thing about God is that God is a farmer. He's a cultivator. The Bible compares him to a husbandman, a farmer. He talks about first fruit, sheaves offering. He talks about grain. He talks about, he talks, so God is a farmer. And God is said, all I need is one seed. And you're the seed. So, so, yeah, it's possible for you to die with your destiny on the inside of you if you never really embrace. And this is why the enemy is so cunning. He's so thin in your flesh that you can never really tap into your full potential because now you're so preoccupied satisfying the the flesh of, of um, the sin of your flesh that you don't really take time to listen to your spirit 
that he can allow you to, uh, you know, to bring this full potential out. You know, I could have died a drug dealer. You know, I could have died a gangbanger. I could have died, you know, a liar, a cheater. See, I could have died all those things, just like many people have done. But I decided not to, and I embraced it, and I became who I am. This is why we use the whole notion of the whole terminology, being born again. Because you have to die to your old self in order to embrace your new self. And, it, it, you know, dying to our own self, is that um, it's not something we recommend that we do on our own, correct? Say that again? I said that's not something you recommend that we do on our own, dying to our flesh. No, it's because it's something that, uh, believe it or not, um, when, you're, when you tap into another realm, you need help there. So it's just like, for example, if, you know, I, I can't just be born in my mother's womb and say, oh, I got it from here, lady. Just cut this umbilical cord and I'll see you later. Deuces. Right. You know, right. <laughs> you know. again, we go back to relationships. So I needed my mother to feed me, to clothe me, to nurture me until I was adequate enough to say, you know what, I got life. I can take it from here. And most of us, believe it or not, he's thinking about are not ready for life until, like, after our late 20s. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> so, right. So, likewise, Jesus told Nicodemus, you know, you got to be born again in the spirit. And, and the reason that that whole conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus is so great is because Nicodemus comes and he embraces Jesus as a teacher. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Because in the spirit realm, you also need a father. You also need a teacher. You also need a nurturer. You need somebody to lead you. I would have not gotten this far in the spirit had I not had the nurturers, the deacons, the elders, the pastors, the shepherds, the apostles, the bishops, everybody that instilled a little bit of themselves in. We understand it's through the spirit, you know, but that's why, you know, Paul tells Timothy, you know, you may have many instructions, but you only have one father. And, 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 and it's the same thing. When you're born in the spirit, you also need that help. You know, that's what we talk about discipling. We talk about, you know, leading people to the next level because you really can't do it by yourself. Look at this. When Jesus uh, was coming in his ministry, the Bible prophesied that he would have a forerunner. He would have somebody that will witness his ministry. You always need somebody to witness your ministry in the Zinger. Because that person witnessing your ministry is what's going to give you precedence or credit or credence to who you are. Jesus, being the son of God and all, he didn't need help. He could have said, you know what, I'm going to start at 12 years old. Like, uh, you know, when he was in the synagogue teaching the teachers and the doctors and the scholars. But he waited. Mm -hmm. You don't hear anything from 12 to 30. You don't hear nothing. Almost 18 years, you don't hear God say anything until he meets John the Baptist. John the Baptist I was given a scripture, one sermon every Sunday. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One sermon every Sunday. But he had the biggest church ever. Mm -hmm. Once Jesus came on the scene, scene, John says, there's the lamb that takes away sin. He says, brother, he says, baptize me. He says, no, Mm -hmm. you should baptize me. He said, no, but suffer it so. Let it be so that the things of God can be in order. Once John the Baptist baptized Jesus, the people that were following John the Baptist now followed Jesus. And John was okay with that. See, sometimes we have to understand our position and we have to understand our calling. I don't always have to be the guy in charge. 
I don't always have to be the main guy. John the Baptist was good with that. God gave him one sermon, and he was good with that. And when Jesus came, he witnessed. He was a witness. He said, that's him, the one I've been preaching about, that's him. The one I've been talking about, that's him right there. And when he gave witness to Jesus' ministry, Jesus' ministry began. So we always need someone else to point the finger at us and say, that's the one right there. So that's why um, relationship. I was just going to say, we're more important to each other than we think. But because mm-hmm. of our perceptions you know, from different hurts or different experiences, you know, we build these walls that are really trapping, you know, us up, so to speak. But is there is it safe to say that um, there's a destiny code inside of someone else for you? You're talking about, like, soulmates? Uh, not just soulmates, but... Um, like you talked about um, me writing, you wanting to write, but not, mm-hmm. you know, wanting oh, to write and then that, me writing. Yeah, that, that uh, I like to call it intersectional connection, that divine okay. connection. Yeah, okay. yeah, there is. You, you have to understand, you know, the Bible, um, you know, gives us many a scripture about helping each other. You know, it talks about the, uh, the Good Samaritan. It talks about, you know, in the Old Testament how, you know, what to be kind you know, lend to the poor, which is somebody in, in need, you know, help them out. It tells us, you know, that when you use your gift, then they'll bring you before a great man. So believe it or not, God created us to be one organism, like in heaven. Mm-hmm. In heaven, in heaven, angels don't go around talking about, oh, you heard what Lucifer did? <laughs> you understand? Mm-hmm. Like, like there's not an angel in heaven that says, you know, what's going on? Like, you know, oh, man, you came late. You missed it. No. There is a telekinetic wave of energy, and God opens mm-hmm. and closes that wave of energy. So when God wants things to be known, everything, everybody knows it in heaven. Everybody just knows it instantaneously, and when God doesn't want to disclose things, he doesn't disclose things. Case in point, okay. for example, everybody in heaven already knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the, 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 the lamb that was slaughtered, and he is received by God. And God has mm-hmm. commanded the scrolls to him to open the seals to now unleash the wrath of God. What they don't know is when he's coming back. Because right. Jesus said, even I, the son, do not That's know. That's what he said. I don't know. Only the father. Right. Only the father. So, you know, we can talk about this and we can say, That's absurd. How are you going to send information through the airwaves? Mm. You have a cell phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? That we can take that and add to the spiritual. So, so with that being said, you know, there are divine connections that we will have with other people, and that I like to call them intersectional connection. And this is when you come to an intersection to meet that person. You know, this is why I've always asked God. I said, God, why, why did Jesus hang on a cross? Why not on a, on a straight stick? Why not on a loop or a circle? Circle would have been more meaningful because we know a circle means infinity forever. Infinity, but, right. mm-hmm. but he hung on a cross. And when you look at the picture of a cross in the Hebrew connotation of it, there's a letter called the Aleph. The Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet 
but you rarely hear about it because it's a silent letter. Mm-hmm. So you see it written a lot, but it's silent. And what the Aleph signifies, it signifies a silent presence. And it's also, you know, personified as God, the Aleph, just silent. But what the Aleph is, and it almost looks kind of like an upside-down N. I'll show you one of these days. Look like an upside-down N. And what the Aleph signifies is that in the middle, you have what is called a Vav, and the Vav is the diagonal that goes from top to bottom. And what that is, it signifies the God of heaven reaching down to the man of earth. And that's what the cross signifies. It signifies that we, or the we, which are horizontal, are now having a connection with the vertical God. Because mm-hmm. man has always been horizontal before God. The only time that man has now become vertical, vert, vertical, excuse me, is with God. We were never able to elevate if it's not without God. So that's what the cross represents. It's an intersectional connection between man and God. And at that point in the middle is where the heart of Christ is. That's the beginning. So you have to understand that God created us to be a living organism, not independently, but interdependently. That when you hurt, I hurt. When you cry, I cry. That's what the Bible encourages. Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. The Bible calls us what? The body of Christ. If I stub my toe, you think my hand won't feel that? Every part of my body will feel that. You understand? Cells, organisms, they're going to start going and working to their neurons, you know, nervous system. Everything's going to go. My heart's going to start pumping. Oh, my toe, my voice is going to start speaking out. I'm going to crunch my eyes. My eyebrows are going to. Every part of my body is going to get affected by that stub toe. Right. And that's how the body is supposed to be. So, guess what? You know, yes, we're connected right now, and as the divine connection, now I'm forever connected to you. You're forever connected to me, whether we continue to work or we stop working, mm-hmm. but we've had a divine connection. And the next time I see you or the next time you see me, my spirit bears witness with your spirit. And this right, is why, right. you know, as Christians, as Christians, and this is something we do not practice, we should have the tightest relationships of any other any other belief system or anything else on earth. We should have the tightest relationship because our relationship goes beyond natural, it goes beyond psyche, it goes to the spirit, which is an unbreakable bond. So let me ask you, if we, if one is hurting and as a body we don't perceive that, you know, somebody else is hurting, does that indicate that we are disconnected or numb? No, it just indicates a lack of maturity. It indicates a lack of maturity, and it it indicates uh, um, just an inability of an an unexercised um, attribute. Uh, For a simple fact, it's almost kind of like when a a baby, you know, you may be crying, and a baby is laughing, and, you know, he's trying to make you laugh because all he knows is to laugh. But it's not until you get older, like, like for example, I, I see, like, when I'm very sad, like baby Steven, right? Baby Steven, well, you know, he just always thinks I'm playing. So he'll, he'll try to smile. He'll try to laugh. You know, that's what he knows because that's what me and him do. But mm-hmm. the same characteristic I have, now you have Sean who comes and pats me on the back and says it's going to be okay. Now, what's the difference between oh. the two, him and Steven? The difference between the two of them is he has a lot, higher level of understanding and a higher level of maturity. So he can comprehend, he can see the somberness in my face, and he can see he's going through that. 
Likewise, us natural to spiritual. Remember, I told you Hebrews 6, the faculties of the spirit. You know, Bible talks about discernment of spirit. So, you know, uh, you, you may come to church and you can be happy on the outside, but I say, you know, something's not right. Something's not right. Mm-hmm. That's my discernment. That's right. a spiritual faculty. And you say, Apostle, yeah, you're right. You know, I'm going through something right now. You know, you know, it's just like the, the same thing right now that just happened. You know, Bishop Tunisia, I, I told her a long time ago, I said, you know, if she don't get this right, that's I, why I, so I always tell Bishop, I said, you know, not that you shouldn't get attached to people. You should always have an open heart. But I always tell people, mm-hmm. I said, you got to give people Christ, not you. Because when you give them you and they do stuff like this, then it, it hurts so bad because you does. put yourself on it. And, you know, and she's really hurting right now. And my prayer goes out to her, but I always say, I said, I said, you can't. I said, you can't do that. I said, people are going to come and go, especially, you know, we, we have a ministry. And, and the ministry, believe it or not, is almost like a, like a business. People always come. And you can't fall in love with every customer that comes by. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to understand that you're there to render a service. You know, if you establish a relationship, okay, good, you remain friends. That's why I believe that as Christians, my motto is never to break relationship. Never. Paul even says, he says, suffer the wrong that you can keep the relationship. So the Bible speaks about excommunication, but it's to the point where the person is being a lunatic, disrupting the service, disrupting uh, authority, disrupting the glory of God, then you excommunicate. But I never believe in excommunicating somebody because they have different views of doctrine. Than me. Mm-hmm. Or, or because they say, you know what, I believe God is calling me, you know, to go to this church. Oh, you know, you, you, you're a buffoon, you know, do not eat with those that are, you know, that are unlike, you know. Mm-hmm. Those that you have all, no. Listen, you can still have a relationship with the person. Hey, how you doing, man? We working together. So a relationship is key. Is key. God said, what can separate me from you? Nothing. So this goes back to um, when you talk about the maturity and how Stephen would handle you versus how Sean would handle you. Sean handles you in a different way because he spent more time with the Father. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, and our ability to be sensitive to one another and love each other if you uh, with the love of God, for instance, I don't need you to speak to me. I'm going to speak to you because that's who I am. I don't need mm-hmm. to know you necessarily to love you. I might need to know you to bond with you, but I don't need to know you to love you because that's the way God made me. So if you mm-hmm. cut me out, you never love me back, even if it upsets me in some way, shape, or form, I will still love you because that's just the way God made me. He told me it's okay for me to be that way. So our maturity even is based on our connection to the Father. Correct. The Bible says that when you draw near to God, God draws near to you. And imagine imagine you want and I'm talking about a physical imagination of you of God always being by your side. <laughs> you know, it's just like and you wonder why the twelve apostles didn't want to go home. You know, because <laughs> they had Jesus always by his side, and, and they learned from him. They learned from him. One of my, I guess, the greatest blessings uh, of my life was that, um, believe it or not, when I, when I met my wife, I was, I was a new Christian. I was saved. I was saved uh, on July 4th, 2004, and I met my wife. Yeah, and I met my wife the week after that, you know, and we got married that same year, 2004. So, you know, a lot of 
church people will have problems with that, and they'll say, well, you know, you got to be saved for a couple of years and all that stuff. But one of the greatest oh. blessings in my life was that I was very close to my shepherd. I was very close to my apostle. And, you know, not only were we basketball buddies before, but, you know, I would, I would be with him all the time. If I wasn't with my wife, I would be with him. And he taught me every time that the man is, is, is a very smart man, very knowledgeable, very gifted, very anointed. And every time he would spit out word, he would spit out word, he would spit out word. So I, I, I'm one that I'm very absorbent. So I just started absorbing, absorbing all this thing, all these things, like a sponge. And, you know, it, it got me to mature a lot faster. You know, there were people, like I said, you know, not to glow, but glory goes to God. But there were people that were, you know, elders and, and you know, and, and ministers, you know, for years at a time. And it was like God was just rushing me, rushing me along, you know. I was an, I was a, a minister. I was an altar I was a minister. I usher. I, I um, you know, um, was a deacon. I was an elder. I was a youth pastor, you know, all these things, you know. And I was like, God, like, what are you doing? But I would just embrace it, embrace it, and I would just learn and learn and learn and learn. And I was saying that to say this, that, you know, God, the closer you get to God, the more he matures you. And that is the beauty about the spiritual things, that the spirit is not, is not bound by time. What would take you four years in the natural to do to get a degree, you could do it in no time. I've gotten my I have a, a, um, honorary bachelor's in theology. They were working and giving me an honorary Ph.D. in theology, you know, just based on what God has taught me, what I know, what I regurgitate, all these things. And this lets you know that when, when you're in God, there's no boundaries. You're not bound by anything. And this is where now when we get closer to God, just like you said, the example, I can love people more. I can be more tolerant. I can be more patient. I can be more understanding. You know, before, you know, a situation like this, you know, which is Tanisha would happen, and I would tell I'll be in tears, grown men in tears. Oh, my God, I don't love me while they're doing this, you know. But, you know, this time around, it's not that I'm callous or I'm not, you know, sincere, but I just, like, you know, I handle it like the minister that God wants us to handle it. You know, I put the word on it. You know, I embrace her. I pray for her. I love them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I encourage her. And I say, listen, if it doesn't work out, we're, we're here. And I think right. about it. I have that balance. Like I was telling you, I'm balanced on the inside and I'm balanced on the outside. You know, I'm not worried about what's going to happen to the praise team. I'm not worried about what's going to happen to the conference. I'm not worried about my emotions on the inside. I'm not worried about, oh, my God, I won't be able to embrace my calling because now I lost, you know, one of my praise and worship leaders, how was my church. I'm not worried about none of those. I was like, God, you give and God, you take. That's right. And <laughs> he only God's takes the gift. So. Exactly. Right, right. So, so um, I'm balanced in that, and, and this is what, what I want to teach others to do, that the closer you get to God, the more balanced you become. That's true. Um, I, did, I know it's 934. I do want to ask you a question because we're you know, flowing in this vein. Um, mm-hmm. I want to know how you view God, the pre-fragmented you and the post-fragmented you so to speak. So uh, what was your view, your personal views of God, you know, before and after? And then what was mm-hmm. what were the views of yourself before and after? Okay. Um, 
Um, the way I viewed God before uh, I really got to know God was um, I've, I've always, as a little child, always was taught to reverence God. So I had more of a fear, a terror of God. So I knew not to curse God, not to blaspheme God, whatever that meant. I knew not to use the Lord's name in vain. But I was mad at God. I was angry with God. I was upset. I was disappointed in him. I would say, how can you allow me, the person you love, supposedly, you know, to do all this, to to be a, a young kid, you know, selling drugs, or a young kid in the streets, or a young kid without a father, or a young kid being molested, or a young kid being abused. Like, how can you allow me to go through these things? So so I, I was upset with God. I was mad at God. I didn't hate him because I knew that, you know, he's, he's someone to be reverenced, he's someone to be respected, and he's someone that's real. And the reason, and the reason, watch this, the reason I believed in God or that there was a God was because I knew emphatically that there was a Satan. Mm. I knew it. As a child, I would have these supernatural encounters. Spirits. So I knew that the demonic existed, and because I knew the demonic existed, then good had to to exist, right? The the heavenly had to exist. So that was my whole concept of that there. I was upset. I was mad. You know, I looked at myself as a failure. I looked at myself as one without a choice. I looked at myself as, you know, um, one that really was was um, was set up to to lose. And I actually had already committed to myself that I will be dead by the age of 22. I just had had no desire to live. Um, I had no desire to keep going. I, I had a son. I did the best that I could by him. And I said, you know what? If I die, I die. So I, I would live my life not being afraid of death. You know, the, the try to commit suicide one time. I try to overdose with alcohol and, you know, all these things. So I really didn't care about life. But once I became saved and God started teaching me who he really was, not who I thought he was, but who he really was, then my post uh, fragment itself <laughs> um, started to uh, really embrace the fact that everything that I had been dealt with was to make me stronger, was to make me endure, was to get me to this point. So I started understanding that, oh, God, listen, even though I was homeless, guess what? You didn't, you didn't completely leave me without a choice. You know, so like my mother always had to have the same. My mother always say. God will not close the door without leaving a window unopened. Mm-hmm. So, so I remember when we were younger, especially my brothers, they would come late from the club and all that stuff, so my mother would close the door, like lock, <laughs> bolt, and everything. But she would never lock the windows. Wow. You understand? So it's mm-hmm. almost kind of like I'm teaching you a lesson, but there's grace in what I'm teaching. Yeah. Exactly. So my brother would always come into the windows. <laughs> so, so you know, I guess it's one of those things where, like, mom, they're really not going to learn until you leave them outside. But, no, it's the right. notion. So, so I started seeing God like that. I said, God, even though you, 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 you put the pressure on, you would never choke me to extract life from me. When you close a door, you always leave a window open. So guess what? I was homeless, but God made a way, and I was staying at a shelter. 
It wasn't the shelter of my preference, but I wasn't outside in the street all the time. You know, maybe I didn't eat every day, but I ate. I would go to the schools or they have three meals or in the shelter sometimes they give, you know, they give you three meals. You know, I got wick for my son, you know, and then I started getting him milk and I stopped stealing and I got a job. And so I saw God in the small things and I said, God, you did that so that I can have a testimony today. That was my first sermon. My first sermon I ever preached was, what's your worth? And I see now how much I'm worth because of the value God gave me. And God, in order for God to give me value, he would have to let the world disvalue me. Because as long as you cost something, the world will always come after you. But when the world disvalues you, then God can pick you up and embrace you. Okay. So like a thrift shop. Yeah, second you know. time around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, so how, how, do you, how do you view yourself now? Now I see myself as a person with purpose. I see myself like um, I had to go through those things to be the person that I am now. I would not, believe it or not, even though I complained about my life before, now I wouldn't change one one comma, one period, I wouldn't change anything. I say, God, I thank you for everything that you allow me to endure, whether good or bad. I thank you for the heartbreaks, and I thank you for the loved ones. I thank you for everything, everything, whether good or bad. Some people say, how do you be thankful for being molested? Because my sacrifice allows me mm-hmm. to minister to someone today. Jesus said, yeah. listen, Jesus said that it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. And because of his death, many can have life. What is it if you have a seed and it doesn't die and go into the ground? How else can you have germinated more? Through my pain, I have ministered to so many more people in my life, and I'm satisfied with that. Very Mm -hmm. satisfied with that. Yes, there's so many points of uh, reach. You know, when Mm -hmm. you experience these things and, go through these things, you can identify with so many people, and that's really what they want. They want, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, to be sought after, and when you finally reach them, you want to, they want to know that they're not alone, that they're not the only one. Okay. They want a place so, that they can sympathize with. Yes, yes, for sure. All right, so your preconceived notions of God became your, uh, if you want to say, that, that set up your expectation. But he came mm-hmm. in and taught you about him himself. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that the very same questions that we've had all our life are the very same thing that lead us to get to know God. That's, that's what led mm-hmm. me to God, you know, the whys, the hows, the when, the what, the whos. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was asking God, God, why did this happen? And, you know, and I would search it out, and he answered me. You know, I allow you to grow up without a father, that you can be the best father. It's not a coincidence that those that are without are the best at keeping something. You know, you think about yes. people that people that have had money problems are one of the best financial officers now. You know, people that, that have been mistreated in life are the best lovers. You know, people that haven't had parents, the best caretakers. Yeah. You know. So we need these infirmities. We need mm-hmm. these um, 
thing. By okay? my stripes, you are healed. Yes, amen. All right, Apostle. So um, we're going to try again next um, Wednesday. Yeah, I'm enjoying um, this. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything. Oh, no worries. And then if anything don't. changes, you just let me know. Um, yes. And uh, I want to text Bishop now. So yes, you Yeah. And um, I'll continue to work on these notes, and I shall have something for you. Um, I'd say by next Wednesday, maybe Tuesday, um, oh. I'll have uh, more notes for you uh, concerning these other points. That one, one last one last question. The interpersonal yes. relationships that you talked about or the interconnecting relationships, I, I don't know if you said interpersonal or interconnected. Um, does, is that included in this bullet that says five points of relationships? Is that included? Um, I speak about it there. Uh, I speak about it a lot in the collaboration because, okay. um, yeah, just real quickly because in the collaboration, like you – like you're always gonna meet somebody that has something that you're in need of, and mm-hmm. somebody's gonna meet you that you have something that they're in need of, and if you really um, can identify your purpose and not be a hoarder of the gift, then you can really make that exchange. You think about before money, before anything else, uh, people were interchanging favors. You know, mm-hmm. before they were trading lambs and goats and everything, people were interchanging favor. You know, I watch your kids. You go, you chill the ground and do all these things because, again, it's, it's a living organism. So to that being said, it's like, okay, you have a gifting that I need, and, and, and you know, you, you and I have something also that you need, and when we work together, that we can fulfill that purpose, you know, and then that's, okay. you know, that's, that's what a, a collaboration really is, no reciprocal relationship. All right. I just wanted to see if that was in there somewhere. But okay. Yeah. So we'll be talking about Okay, Apostle. Thank you so much, you my dear. Have a blessed night. You're you welcome. too. God bless you All and right. say hi to your lovely God husband for me. Bye-bye. I will. All right. Bye bye. God bless. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.